Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hi everyone, it's Doc with a special announcement. We are going to take a cruise through some of our most popular episodes from prior seasons to get everyone fired up. Now our new content will continue to drop on Saturdays each week but we will also be re-releasing these great episodes on Monday for your morning commute. I know you've all heard about Classic Rock. Well, we're gonna call these episodes Classic Doc. Sit back, settle in, and enjoy the ride. Hi everybody, it's Doc from the John Freakin' Mirpod, and I wanna let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Miss these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Hunters will tell you that a moose is a wily and ferocious forest creature. Nonsense. A moose is a cow drawn by a three-year-old. Bill Bryson. But, you know, my face was about as, as far as I remember, was about as tall as its butt. You know, like, 
it's up there. Yes. <laughs> Those things are towering, you know? <laughs> so, I, I, and I think the maybe the scary part with them is just they're unpredictable. You know, with a, with a black bear or a grizzly bear, like, you can look up, like, what do you do when you come across a grizzly bear? You know, what do you do when you come across a black bear? When you look up a moose, what do you do when you come across a moose? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> That's... <laughs> <laughs> there's no like official way to handle it so i i kind of just try to be you know be friendly be nice to the moose respect its space and hopefully it'll respect my space and i'm doc and this is the john freaking mirror pod Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, on to this week's content. Well, we have talked to a number of hikers on the podcast, and we have heard from them about their strategies for preparing for the trail, books, blogs, apps, and YouTube channels. Hang on to that thought. Because this week's guest, in addition to having more than 10,000 trail miles under his feet, has also inspired so many others with his YouTube channel, Jupiter Hikes. Welcome to the pod, Jupiter. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> Fantastic to have you here. We, just, we, we start off with the trail name because we only refer to each other by our trail names on this podcast. So I'm, I'm fairly certain that Jupiter is not what's on your paycheck or driver's license, just as Doc is not what's on mine. Is, is Jupiter your trail name? Yeah, Jupiter is my trail name. My real name is James. Uh, though Jupiter Hikes is the same initials, J-H, as my first and last name. So that happens to work out. But yep, Jupiter is my trail name. Awesome. <laughs> now you have to give us the story behind the trail name. How did you acquire that? Sure. Generally, I just tell people that it's because I'm from the town of Jupiter, Florida, uh, which is true. I am from there, but it originally comes from a uh, girl I was dating a long time ago whose name was Marissa, and she went by Mars. So I said, if she is Mars, then I will be Jupiter. So that is the actual origin. Um, I always, you know, when you're out on the PCT, the AT, or any other long distance trail, you'll come across people with trail names and you're inevitably going to come across someone with a really silly one or a stupid one or something, you know, spatula or, you know, a bunch of people with the same name over and over and over. How many spiders are there? You know, how many right. flowers, mm -hmm. but, or actually one time I met a guy named Pooh Pans and that was right after he shook my hand. He said, Hey, my name's Pooh Pans. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I had heard this and I kind of felt that, you know, you either pick a name yourself or you get stuck with something stupid. So I wound up carrying on with Jupiter after folks had tried to name me Strider and Long Strider. And I had met another 10 other Striders and I'm like, nah, I don't really like that. Someone tried to name me Oatmeal and it's like, no, it doesn't really fit. So <laughs> I picked a name for myself, which I guess goes against uh, convention in the whole trail naming process. 
It but. does. It does. But I, I can understand a preemptive strike. You don't want to get stuck with poop hands or spatula. I don't know. I mean, uh, the dude said he was actually quoted in some newspaper as poop hands <laughs> about hiking the Appalachian Trail. And I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool, you know? And it sure made me laugh, but I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm looking for longevity, a yeah. trail name I can be happy with year after year after year. <laughs> nice. Now, I, I want to really see the expression on your face as you're shaking his hand and he says, hey, my name is, my name is Poop Hands. Oh, man. I, I wish I could remember where I met him. I mean, it was absolutely on the Appalachian Trail. I want to say somewhere in Maine, you know, but uh, I, I don't remember. I think it just caught me off guard. So I was kind of dumbfounded for a few seconds. Like, what did I just hear? And I'm still shaking his hand. And... <laughs> That's right. Slight, slight processing delay as you're taking it Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Got it. <laughs> don't expect it. <laughs> Very good. Hey, have you listened to the podcast before? This is my first time since okay. uh, just since this past year, 2020 mm -hmm. has been kind of a really weird year to get out and hike. And generally when I'm through hiking is when I listen to the most podcasts, you know, I'm talking about like, there are days where I go from waking up to falling asleep, listening to podcasts. So I've kind of been on a little bit of a break recently just mm -hmm. because I don't know, I, I don't drive very far daily as like my commute. So I'm not really listening to much in between there. And mm -hmm. so I just haven't had a chance to listen to a whole lot this past year, but I've been stocking them up for 2021 this year, you know, just looking forward to getting out there, being on trail and listening to some new stuff. So nice. I hope we can make absolutely. your playlist. Yeah, you absolutely will. I'm super excited to go through and uh, specifically that Barney Scout Man podcast. I mean, that guy's got some stories to tell. You two were talking about earlier, uh, uh, someone who had raced in the Barkley marathons five times, yes. you know, so absolutely going to have those listen on my hikes this year. Yes. Are you obsessed with the Barkley marathons like I am? Um, I wouldn't say obsessed, but I, I've certainly, I mean, I've seen all the videos, all the uh, documentaries, I've seen all the, the different training vlogs that people have put out there. And mm -hmm. I actually, I'm not sure if he's done the Barclays, but Jim Walmsy, uh, who is a, I believe, Leadville 100 winner and just like a, a killer runner. Mm -hmm. I think he actually lives down the street from me. So uh, the, the Barkley marathons, it, it's an incredible, incredible thing. I do find it super interesting that a lot of through hikers have kind of come into that realm to take on the Barkley. I know, uh, Jeff Garmier legend, mm -hmm. uh, is an incredibly accomplished through hiker and speed record setter and whatever yeah. you want to call him. And, you know, he's, he's really been planning on doing that. And Heather, uh, Anish Anderson. Mm -hmm. I think she's attempted it twice, you know, and she, another just yeah. absolutely I'm, amazing through hiker. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned legend. Cause I'm talking to him next week. So he'll be on an cool. upcoming episode as well. I can't wait to talk to him too. Yeah. He's, he's an interesting guy with yeah, just, a lot of interesting miles. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Through hikers and getting involved with the, the Barkley. I mean, there's, there's a lot of navigation that goes on in the Barkley. It's not just an endurance event, but it's an endurance sleep deprivation and navigating challenge. Like, yeah. But also just the, the distance, you know, I mean, yeah. runners, I feel like ultra running is a pretty kind of new thing. Popularity wise, you know, marathons certainly have had their day, the 26 mile races, but now ultra marathons seem like just the new big thing. And mm -hmm. it's cool seeing both the through hikers 
going down into smaller distances like these 100 mile races and these 200 mile races but it's also amazing watching these ultra runners and marathon runners bump it up into the through hike realm you know the 500 mile uh colorado trail or the john muir trail the john freaking muir trail like how many ultra runners out there have been attempting that in recent years and it's just going up and up and up i think they're finding out that like wow being on trail is way better than being on pavement yes (laughs) a couple uh, we've covered a lot of ground already i have a couple things to unpack from that number one is uh, i talked to michael wardian season two episode one so it was the season premiere first episode for season two michael wardian outsider of the year by outside magazine uh ultra runner incredible athlete and he has participated in the barclays twice and both times he uh, has yet to complete a single loop which tells you how tough it is i mean this guy is is out there running 100 150 175 mile races and the barclays just absolutely kicked his butt i mean yeah it honestly looks kind of like a nightmare of a race to be honest yeah Yeah. and then talk about through hikers i mean uh uh, trail runners who have done through hiking i talked to gabe and kevin who met at the moab 240 Mm -hmm. and they decided they wanted to uh fast pack the jmt and they planned to do it in a week also gabe's wife gabe's wife only gave him a week to do it so he said well we we have to run the the john muir trail I think that can be a wonderful motivator to get out on trail and to go a little bit faster possibly, or to just be motivated to finish it at all. Uh, I know uh, one of the jobs I was working, I was a painting teacher and they gave me like 10 days off work and that's all I had. And, you know, which is a blessing as it is, but that was just enough time for me to like smash in a 300 mile trail in Kentucky. Yeah. So, you know, I had to hike a little bit quick, but it was like, you know, here I have this time. I got to get out and do this. Yeah. Time constraints are definitely a motivator and poor Gabe and Kevin, they thought, you know, Hey, we've done the Moab 240. We'll just get to the Sierras. We're going to run this thing. We'll just run the whole thing. It's got not going to be a problem. They got there, discovered that, Hey, you can't run the JMT. The geography of the JMT does not allow you to run it. And so they had to, instead of upping their speed, they had to up their hours. Yeah. They got it done. They got it done in, in less than six days. It was like five days and 23 hours, but uh, it was a lot of 2 a.m. to 10 p.m. type days. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. But anyway, the reason I asked you, if you had listened to the pod where this whole conversation started was because I wanted to make sure that you were aware of a regular feature we do on the pod. It's called the pro tip insight of the week. And so that is a segment at towards the end of the episode where I will turn to you and I'll say, Jupiter, what is your pro tip? What can you share with our listeners that's going to make their next outdoor adventure that much more epic? And so some little tip, insight, uh, trick, so a, a bit of Jupiter wisdom that you can share with them. So don't okay. be surprised when I, when I get Yeah, I, I think I got a lot of small little tips like that. I'm just trying to think I'm, like what is – what is going to really make their trip so much more epic? You know, yeah. I could, yeah, I, I certainly am chock full of that little type of stuff. And certainly I've made enough mistakes to know what not to do at this point. That's exactly it. Wisdom, wisdom comes from experience and you, my friend have a lot of experience on the trail, which it, you know, translates into a lot of mistakes. You know, we learn from our mistakes. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure that you've got something for us. All right. Absolutely. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review. 
Here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Jupiter, what, uh, what's your must bring piece of gear? Oh man, I got a few stuff. Do you, do you want something that's actually like beneficial to the hike or just something fun? You know, cause I, I'll I, say, want fun, I want fun stuff. I'll say, uh, the vast majority of my hiking, if someone, if someone else was going to pack my pack, the one thing that I would insist on bringing, and this is for a lot of trails, but certainly it doesn't work for every single trail. Uh, but I did use it in the Sierra and all sorts of other places was a tarp. I would use a tarp instead of a tent. You know, I think my tarp, I think I have my gear list up right here. Um, cause I've been going through gear for future trails. My tarp only weighs 5.8 ounces. You know, that is my total shelter system. And, you know, not only is it going to be super, super lightweight, it, it just gives me that sense of that. I'm actually out in the outdoors. You know, when I'm sleeping under it, I'm not surrounded by four walls. You know, my head's not touching the side of my tent, getting dew on it. You know, I'm here, I'm under my tarp. I can look to my right and see a beautiful sunset while I'm laying under my tarp, you know? So not only is it incredibly light, it just gives me this incredible sense of like freedom being under a tarp. So that is absolutely what I would choose if someone else were just packing my pack. Yes, my friend. I knew I could count on you. Chopper, <laughs> my, my, my friend, my hiking buddy and sometimes co-host Chopper right now is listening and is shaking his head because he knows how this resonates with me because I have, I have taken to going with a tarp instead of a tent and I am hooked. You know, I, I have literally spent uh, weekends just stuck on YouTube watching tarp video after tarp video after tarp video, you know, different tarp pitches and, and how you do this and how you do that. And my family just looks at me and shakes their head. But uh, I am so glad that you validated me right yeah. then and there. Thank you. I, I think I've used the tarp for something like 8,500 of my hiking miles, you know? So those like that 1,500 in there where I didn't the whole time I was just missing my tarp. <laughs> <laughs> easier, easier and faster to set up lighter weights, packs down smaller. It is, it is a wonderful thing. And you know, it, it obviously doesn't work in every situation. And this is a comment I get, you know, every single week, someone says like, yeah, bring that set up to the Netherlands and see how it does or bring that set set up to England or wherever, you know, wherever they want. And slowly, but surely I am checking off each and every one of those places, you know, man, originally they were saying like, yeah, bring that set up to the whites in New Hampshire. And it's like, you know, I did it and it was fine. And I, I think with the tarp, it, it definitely takes like much more thought and consideration with where you're going to camp and how you're going to set it up. But ultimately I, I love it and I never want to leave it behind. Yeah. Hate, haters are going to hate no matter what you do. So stick with the tarp. Don't give it up. You, you are, you've got it exactly right. Nice job. Yeah. Can I give you another quick little one just for fun? You, you're going to give me another one, but I want, I, I haven't left the tarp subject yet. So, okay. <laughs> so I, I, we did a, a quick, you know, two or three day out to thousand, thousand Island Lake, uh, me and my son, and I took the tarp. It was in September, September of uh, 2019. And the, the temperatures got down into, I think, mid-20s. Yeah. And I, is it ever too cold to camp with a tarp? Um, 
I, I don't think it's not like a tent is really adding much warmth to your sleep system. Like you are trapping your heat inside that tent, the heat from your breath, the heat from your body. So it is warming you up a little bit, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I would say it's probably only like five degrees or something. It's nothing spectacular. If it is too cold with a tarp or if there's too many bugs, or if you're just expecting torrential downpours all the time, I would just bring a bivy. You know, or if you're just starting out with a tarp, you could always just bring a bivy and, you know, it's kind of just like a sleeping bag for your sleeping bag. You kind of lay down in this bivy and it protects you from wind. It protects you from rain. And, uh, I don't normally bring one of those, but if I were say on, uh, the Pacific crest trail or something, I would start out with just my tarp. And then maybe when I get to the Sierra Nevada, I might have my bivy sent to me just for that section, just for the mosquitoes, just for the cold. You know, and then I could send it home. And that's kind of the one of the beauties of a tarp is you can have this super ultralight setup with the tarp. And then when you need something a little bit extra, you can just add in this one little piece and remove it as needed. So I, I don't think I don't know. I've I've slept in certainly 20 degree weather and less with a tarp and without a bivy. Mm-hmm. You know, you still trap the heat and create that little microclimate in between you and your tarp yeah. above you. So it still does warm you up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And certainly you can set up a tarp in many different ways to protect against wind. And so I, I don't really think so. But I mean, okay. actually, yeah, you certainly when you get like the closer to zero and sub zero, then yeah, I, I'd probably rather have a tent, but, yeah. <laughs> or if you're like constantly just for, I don't know, weeks and weeks or months and whatever, just going to be camping on snow, then maybe a tent would be my choice. But <laughs> for, I think that's kind of the point, you know, for three season camping, I, I think a tarp is perfect. Yeah. And full yeah. disclosure, I go with a tarp, a bivy and a quilt. Okay. That's kind of my standard setup these days. Yeah, I just do uh, the tarp and a ground sheet and, you know, no, no bivy, though I, I have carried one a lot in the past. I think I just kind of felt like what I, what I wound up doing was I just bought a slightly larger tarp because I felt like the majority of the time, the reason I wanted a bivy was to protect against water splashing mm-hmm. onto my quilt while I was sleeping from the rain. And with a much larger tarp or a, even a slightly larger tarp, I'm just that much more protected from the rain and don't feel like I need the bivy and the setup is lighter overall. So I still have my bivy. It's right over here somewhere behind me, but uh, I only bring it out for special circumstances now. (laughs) Got it. And we're going straight to a top three list here before we get to your second uh, must bring item. Top three tarp pitches. Oh man. I mean, the one I use just predominantly all the time is going to be a half pyramid. You know, the half pyramid, it, I I don't know how to really explain it, but for me, it is the fastest one to set up. I only need one stick. I don't carry trekking poles. So I set up my tarp with sticks. So I only need one stick to set it up. It's super quick to set up. And, uh, uh, I feel like it keeps me protected in most weather. And then uh, my second most used setup is just the typical kind of like A-frame, you know, kind of looking like a very normal cocoon style tent. And that's what I use more in heavy weather conditions. Or if there's heavy wind, then I can tack both sides down to the ground. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I pretty much just stick to those two. You know, I've certainly tried all sorts of other stuff like the flying diamond and 
uh, just, I, I think more of what I do instead of going to totally different pitches is my uh, guy lines on my tarp are just slightly longer. So then I can modify the shape of my tarp while still keeping that half pyramid. You know, I can have one side that's much more raised higher or use mm -hmm. a second stick to raise it higher. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's, I guess it's kind of another cool thing of a tarp is it's kind of like origami and you can set it up bigger or smaller depending on the conditions and the weather. So that's a great description. Origami. Yes. Yeah. Very much. So I, I'm, I uh, found the asymmetrical Holden. Have you ever tried that one? I don't think so. I'm going to have to look up a picture yeah, look, of that one. Look, look, look that up. It's pretty cool. It's got yeah. one side. It's, it, it provides some protection, but it's got, uh, you know, a, a unobstructed view of the, of the sky from the side, which is, you know, what I was oh, looking cool. for. Yeah. Yeah. I will absolutely look that one up because I'm, I'm always interested in seeing what people do. There's this other YouTuber. Oh, I can't remember his name at the moment, but he liked the Sheltoe Trace, I think, uh, the year before me, and he used a tarp on it. And, he just every single night, you know, his videos, he just had his tarp set up in the craziest looking ways. And it was so cool to see someone just getting really creative with it. Whereas me, you know, I'm just kind of keeping the same two setups for any condition, really. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Now, before we get, to, I, I, I got distracted again from, from before we get to your second item. Um, no trekking poles? I mean, you, no. you've covered a lot of miles and you don't use trekking poles. That's interesting. Yeah, I I will say to everyone ever use trekking poles. I they are absolutely and proven to be very beneficial to your knees for just weight transfer for uh, transfer of energy. You know, you're using more of your upper body instead of less than your uh, instead of more of your lower body. You know, it really is proven to be extremely helpful to speed you up to protect from injury. I think for me, I just never really jived with them. And I always kind of wanted my hands free. Now, pretty much every year when I get out, I will try one hike a year, like one through hike a year where I carry at least one trekking pole. And without fail every year, I've found some other hiker out on that trail to just give it to, cause I'm like, this isn't working for me. <laughs> I just like having my hands free and this will kind of get into the next favorite gear item as well. Okay. Good, perfect segue. Let's let's hear it. <laughs> okay, my next favorite gear item. If someone else was packing my pack, honestly, you can go backpacking with anything. You don't need to buy that six hundred dollar tent. You know, you can you can go backpacking with anything as long as you have the essentials of like a tent. You know, a quilt. You know, just very basic things. My luxury on many trips has been a yo-yo. This yo-yo only weighs about two ounces, so it's not very heavy. I can just keep it in my pocket. But, you know, when I get to a section of trail that I personally don't find super interesting, or if I'm hiking a trail that has a lot of road walking, or if I'm just having a down day, I whip out my yo-yo and those miles just fly on by. You know, I'll play with it for like 10 minutes here, you know, and before I know it, a mile is gone. You know, I'll play with it 10 minutes there, 20 minutes there. And it's just a really fun little thing to have. No batteries required. All you need is the string and <laughs> you're good to go, man. So I, my second favorite item is got to be a yo-yo. Nice. <laughs> and, and that right there explains why you can't, why you don't use trekking poles. <laughs> exactly. Because I need my hand, at least one hand free to, right. uh, to play with this little guy here. Yeah. That's right. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. 
All right. Hey, let's, let's back up a little bit and kind of go into your background. Tell us about where you grew up, what kind of hobbies you were interested in as a sport or as a, as a kid. And, you know, how did you get involved in through hiking? At what point in your life did, did you have the thought enter your mind that said, you know, it'd be great to walk thousands of miles uh, with very little on my back. Sure. Um, I, I guess, well, I grew up in South Florida, about two hours north of Miami and two hours south of Orlando. So right in between those two big cities in a small town of Jupiter, Florida. If anyone's familiar with West Palm Beach, I'm just north of that. Um, So South Florida, you know, I mean, it was just like a small little surfer town. We lived maybe 10 minutes from the beach uh, for many, many days and nights and years, I was riding my bike to the beach, you know, just every single night I would go to the beach. I would just hang out for 10 minutes, listen to the sounds of the ocean and ride back home, you know? So that's, that's kind of how I was growing up a little bit. I feel like my parents were always trying to get me to do outdoorsy stuff and they would take me hiking. And actually my mom was a volunteer for the Florida trail association and she would help uh, maintain a section of the Florida trail that was near our home. And, uh, I never liked it. I never wanted to get into it. I kind of always just wanted to go home and want to play video games. And really that, that was a lot of my younger life was just playing video games constantly. You know, I was super interested in technology. I, uh, built my own computer when I was very young and just, I, I fell in love with technology and, um, all sorts of stuff like that. So I don't really know exactly what it was, but I think it, it is extremely important that my parents tried to get me out and just expose me to the outdoors and camping and, you know, hiking and all these other things out there, <laughs> even if I didn't really care for them at the time, because later on in life, you know, I found that, Hey, I really enjoy this. And actually I, I guess what it was is, uh, In 2012, I was working a job I didn't really like too much. And, you know, I wasn't really too happy with my life and wasn't really sure where to go with it. Um, And my mom just brought up the idea of, hey, why don't you hike the Appalachian Trail? You know, maybe some time out in the woods will help you think and, you know, give you some space to kind of figure some stuff out for yourself. And I thought that was great. So I quit my job and I set off on the Appalachian Trail and I didn't make it. (laughs) I knew nothing about hiking at all. I remember my backpack at the time weighed something like 80 pounds. I had like a, yeah, I had like a 10 pound bag of trail mix because I didn't know how frequently people would buy food. You know, I, I thought like, well, I may need to just pack for an entire month right off the bat. You know, I don't know where this trail goes. I, I have maps, but I'm not going to look at them. <laughs> I've just got, I've like these four guidebooks in this backpack, but like, I don't really want to touch those. Uh-huh. So, you know, I set off on the Appalachian trail, not really knowing anything about backpacking whatsoever. And, um, I think that was a really great experience for me. It was just, you know, I met all these really amazing people out there, really friendly people, just folks having a good time. And, you know, I think uh, just being out in the woods can be kind of healing in that way. And uh, I really, though I only made it like 500 miles or something, I quit around hot springs. If anyone 
knows where that is in relation to miles. But I think I made it about 500 miles and I just didn't have any more money. And the crushing weight of my 80 pound backpack was starting to really hurt my ankles. So uh, I wound up quitting and coming back home and, you know, trying to start anew a little bit. That is interesting. So many of our, of our uh, guests, they can remember the exact moment where they, they first heard about a long trail, where they first heard about the Appalachian Trail, this trail that goes from Georgia to Maine, or you know, the, the PCT that <coughs> excuse me, goes from Mexico to Canada. And they, and they thought, what, th- what in the world? This, this can't be real. And you know, do some investigation and find out about it. It sounds like that you were, you were uh, familiar with long trail hiking because of your mom's involvement with the Florida trail. Yeah, it was, uh, my mom certainly played a big part. You know, my dad, he liked hiking as well. See my cat is trying to eat some plants, but, uh, uh, yeah, my mom was super into just getting out and hiking and riding her bike. And, you know, my dad really loved it as well, but it was also my grandfather. He didn't live very far from the Appalachian trail. So I remember one time with my dad in North Carolina at my grandfather's house, you know, he took me out onto the Appalachian trail to do a short little hike. And he made some just offhand remark that, you know, if I, if we let you go and you just keep walking that way, you'll walk all the way to Maine, you know? And I, I didn't really quite realize, like, I was too young to kind of conceptualize how far away that was, mm-hmm. you know? So it, I remember it now, but at the time I just, it didn't even process with me, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I had certainly heard of these things and heard of these names, but it wasn't until many, many years later did I like kind of find joy in it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And for uh, our listeners who have not yet watched this on YouTube, you're missing out on Jupiter's cat eating the plant behind him. So oh, yeah. very interesting. <laughs> very good. Yeah. All right. So, hey, I'm glad you mentioned that your pack uh, on that first Appalachian Trail weighed 80 pounds because I know that you are a, you consider yourself to be a master tinkerer with your gear. And so I wanted to ask how your gear has evolved from that first hike. I I know it's not 80 pounds these days. Um, Yeah, I actually, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I've, I've been gearing up. I've been gearing up for the trails this year, but this is the pack I'm going to be carrying on the 800 mile Arizona trail coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much everything you saw right there is it, except I'm carrying more water than you see right there. Yeah. Cause it's the desert. But uh, anyway, yeah. So it has changed so much. And again, this does stem from that first hike in 2012 on the AT where I ran into a guy that it was two guys, both friends, One of them had already done the Appalachian trail and his next big hike, he was, this was, you know, a long time ago, maybe, you know, maybe this was possible then. I don't know, but his next big hike was going to be to hike the, uh, the, oh man, the great wall of China, the great wall of China. So he had spent the past like two years learning, you know, some basic Chinese and like he had been planning out all the logistics to this hike. Well, anyway, that guy had a nine pound base weight. And he had like a full two person tent. He had a stove, his quilt looked super warm and like he had everything I had, but his pack weighed nothing. And it was like, what even is this? And then his buddy, 
his buddy took it a step further. His buddy had some, you know, his buddy had like a tarp and no stove and his buddy had like a six pound base weight. And I was like, what is even going on here? You know, me with my 80 pound pack and like these guys look like they're living more comfortably than I am, you know? So it, it kind of stemmed from re- remembering those guys and just like, wow, that's maybe what more seasoned hikers look like. You know, the more you hike, I figure you kind of learn like what you like and what you don't like. And honestly, just what is worth carrying on your back? Like, what do you really want to lug up and down these mountains and up and down these hills and down those trails? So um, remembering both of those guys and then also just remembering how heavy my pack was and how bad my ankles and my feet hurt that whole time. And you know, I, I think that really inspired the way I pack now, just almost with a vengeance. Like I just, I wanted to find out how I could do it differently, what I could get rid of, what could be lighter. And I remember I bought that guy's same tent, you know, it was a light heart gear, so long six. And, you know, I bought his same tent and, you know, I, I, really started doing my research after that and just like paring it down like crazy. So I I haven't stopped doing that since, you know, I'm still just always looking at new gear or, you know, what little things, whether it's spending a little bit of money or whether it's something free, how can I have a smaller pack? How can I be a little bit more efficient with my hiking, you know, and uh, carry a little bit less because, you know, in a lot of ways, I I feel like the gear just gets in the way of me being in the outdoors and the less gear I have, the, the more I can kind of focus on and spend time in the outdoors instead of organizing my things and going through my things and thinking if I lost something. So I think that's why I do it now. Got it. And that leads me to uh, another segment I do and it's called hiking pole. And it's not the hiking pole that you, you, you hike with. It's a P O L L. So here we go. We're going to do ultralight version of our hiking pole. Uh, holes in the toothbrush or no holes in the toothbrush? Holes in the toothbrush? Have I to, drilled them? That's right. To save weight. Get those grams out of there. I haven't drilled holes in my toothbrush, but you better be sure that I've cut that thing in half. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's, you know, it's not about the weight. It's about the, it's about the mindset, you know, that if I don't need it, I don't want to carry it. And I feel like I can brush my teeth just fine with half a toothbrush. So I don't need it. I'm not carrying it. (laughs) All right. Uh, Second part, second question in the hiking pool, ultralight version straps or, or shorten this or cut off the straps, extra straps on your backpack. Oh, uh, I, I think whatever makes you happy, but you know, I am definitely the type of person to cut off things I don't feel like I need. So, you know, if I had a backpack that was a little, a little bit extra, you know, had that extra compression straps on it or had this extra thing or that thing, I'd probably remove it, you know, but definitely take your time with that. There's no rush with removing stuff that can't be added back. (laughs) (laughs) Fair point. Fair point. All right. Hot food or cold soak? I mean, I love hot food just like anyone else. I, I think just with when you're doing a really, you know, a really long hike, like you're out there for a month, two months, three months, four, five, whatever. I think it just becomes sort of a chore to actually cook food at night. So most of my hikes, I eat cold food and I'm totally happy with it. 
you know, I soak, I cold soak some pinto beans, I add some olive oil and some like salsa and sometimes I'll pack out an avocado and I'll add some tortilla chips and I kind of got like nachos in a cold soak bottle. <laughs> it's, it's really not so bad. And, you know, I think of food maybe more as fuel for the miles rather than like I'm sitting around a campfire with a bunch of friends enjoying it. So, right. Follow up question on that. Do you, do you cold soak just for the variety or do you just, do you not want to carry a stove? Oh, I just don't, I, I cold soak for efficiency. I feel like all I have to do is mm -hmm. when the sun is setting, I add maybe a half a liter to my little cold soak container, half a liter of water, half an hour later, I sit down in the trail and I just eat, you know, I don't need to stop and cook it. I don't need to sit down and cook it. You know, I can still get my miles while my food is essentially cooking. Mm -hmm. So, right. All right. And last question in our hiking poll, trail runners or boots? Uh, trail runners, trail runners. I mean, I can absolutely understand the merit of boots. If you're hiking in the snow or if you're a new hiker, who's just a little bit concerned about maybe their feet or their ankles. Uh, there have been studies showing that, uh, people who wear low cut shoes versus people who wear high cut like boots versus trail runners that uh people don't really get more injured it's pretty much the same amount of injuries across the board between the two so uh, you know boots in maybe snow but every other time ever i would wear trail runners and even in the snow i would wear trail runners i would probably just maybe wear some waterproof socks or something with them all right very good great hiking pole we're gonna Take a quick break. When we come back, we're getting to the nitty gritty and some great stories from the trail with Jupiter. Stay tuned for that. Be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your pod podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started.
Hey, I'm Jupiter, and uh, in 2016, I hiked 5,000 miles across the country carrying only six pounds worth of stuff, and also setting a speed record on the Florida Trail in the process, also hiking the Appalachian Trail, the International Appalachian Trail, the Bent Mackay Trail, the Pinhoti Trail, all those other things in between. I've done many long trails out west between the Pacific Northwest Trail, part of the Pacific Crest Trail, the Uintah Line Trail, just all sorts of stuff around the country. Uh, I really focus on super ultralight backpacking and, uh, you know, making cool videos about my trips and helping other people get out there. And today you are listening to the John Frickin' Muir podcast. And welcome back. We're talking to Jupiter, uh, seasoned through hiker, ultralight through hiker. We just heard a fantastic hiking pole, ultralight edition. And now let's talk about, uh, you know, you had that 2012 attempt of the Appalachian Trail, 500 miles with, with 80 pounds on your back, it had to be absolute torture and said, okay, this is, this is not it. It's not going to work. And, and I think many people at that point might've said, you know what? I tried through hiking. It's not for me, but, uh, that, it, that didn't stop you. You, you didn't give up. Uh, what did you do after that? I, I think I was this close, so close to being one of those people where I just never would have gave it a second thought ever again in my life. But uh, again, maybe 2014 or something, I was working another job that I didn't really enjoy too much and, uh, you know, just kind of in a place in my life where I wasn't too happy again. And I just started wanting to get out of the house more. I wanted to maybe just let my thoughts roam free. And I had remembered the Florida trail and I had remembered a lot of natural areas near home. And I just started going out hiking and going out camping. And it just started out as kind of like this little innocent thing. And, you know, again, I, I didn't really pay any thought to the Appalachian trail attempt in the past, but, you know, I found myself quickly just every single week I was going out backpacking, you know, at least one night a week. I think I had like Tuesdays and Fridays off. So Monday after work, I would have my stuff packed. I'd get out of work. I'd go camping that night and then I'd be hiking all Tuesday. Thursday, I'd get off work and do the exact same thing Friday. So it, it quickly, I was backpacking and camping twice a week, every single week. And it just became like this new obsession for me. And, you know, I, carried that 80 pound pack on the Appalachian trail before. And that was something that I really did remember, you know, that I didn't want to repeat that, that I didn't want to do that again. I felt like all that stuff I was carrying didn't really add to my experience, you know, and I think that's the important part, the stuff you carry, you really want it to add something, you know, whether that's safety or enjoyment and fun and it didn't do either. So on these little trips that I was doing every single week, I was obsessively going through the things I brought, you know, going through my pack and really coming home and just evaluating each item. Like, did I use this? Did I feel like I needed it? Did I, do I think I'm going to use this the next time I'm out there, you know, and just whittling off item after item. And, you know, from that job I wasn't enjoying, I was slowly replacing items here and there as I had the expendable cash and, you know, I, I did that for, I think, two years, 2014 and 2015, where I was just constantly on trail, you know, whether I was hiking or camping, or I started volunteering with the Florida Trail Association, 
you know, I started volunteering doing trail maintenance and I started volunteering as like a trip guide because here I'd be out hiking so much. I was constantly running into these maintainers, you know, I was constantly running into the FTA and, uh, you know, eventually I think they asked me like, you know, would you like to lead this beginner backpacking trip or would you like to take people on this overnight, you know, and I, I loved it. You know, I loved helping out and I loved having that behind the scenes of how a trail is built. You know, I recommend anyone get out there and do some main, do some uh, volunteering for a local trail organization. You know, it, it gives you a whole new perspective on how much work goes into these trails. So, um, you know, I was doing that just so, so much, just camping, hiking, volunteering. And I started to ask myself, like, I love doing this, but what do I want to do with it? You know, do I just want to keep hiking every weekend or do I want to go out and maybe attempt another through hike? And, you know, I was doing it so much. I was just in fantastic shape and my backpack was whittled down to this, like, you know, between an eight pound pack or a six pound base weight, like type of thing. And, you know, I was getting faster and more efficient and just like, I just knew my gear left and right and like the back of my hand. And, you know, eventually I decided I wanted to do the Appalachian trail and I wanted to do the Florida trail. The Florida trail is 1,100 miles across Florida and the Appalachian trail is 2,200 miles. I wanted to do both of those in one year. Um, Cause at this time, I think I was working a job that I actually sort of did like. And I was thinking like, it wouldn't really be worth it to me to quit my job just to hike the Appalachian trail. So I'm gonna, it, I'm gonna have to hike two trails if it's gonna be worth it. So I had my sights set on Florida trail and Appalachian trail in one year, in one season, that'd be 3,300 miles. And, you know, the more I kept thinking about it and I actually was talking to a friend and he said something stupid, like, well, if you're gonna hike those two, why don't you walk in between them? You know, why don't you just walk from the Appalachian trail to the Florida trail and do them both like that? You know, and I kind of laughed and laughed it off and whatever, but it just wouldn't leave my mind. I'd go out hiking again and I'd be thinking like, yeah, maybe I should do that. You know, and I was hanging out with that buddy again, like a month later. And he said, you know, if you're doing the Florida trail, like, why don't you just start at the southernmost point in Florida, Key West, you know, the Florida trail begins 200 miles north of there. So <laughs> he said this again, and I laughed at him again. And, you know, a week later, I'm thinking to myself, like, hey, why don't I do that? You know, why don't I start in Key West and hike the Florida trail and then hike to the Appalachian trail and hike that. <laughs> so this, this idea of, you know, this obsession just kept growing and growing into what I wound up doing in 2016. I wound up hiking from Quebec, Canada, all the way down to Key West, Florida, which was about 4,800 miles but I added on about 200 extra bonus miles in there to get the 500 or the 5,000 rather. But this trail included the Florida Trail, the Appalachian Trail. It included the International Appalachian Trail. Cause again, some random guy told me, hey, you gotta do that too, that sounds great. So sure enough, I did that too. So the Florida Trail, Appalachian Trail, the International Appalachian Trail, it also had the Bent Mackay Trail or a piece of it in there. It had the Full Pinhody Trail, the Alabama Hiking Trail, the South, South Dade Greenway, and the Overseas Heritage Trail, all as one weird, weird through hike. You know, and that was my 2016, and that was 
you know, all of the culmination of all of these day hikes and overnight hikes of like what I wanted to do with this new love I've found of backpacking, you know? So I, I really came back to the Appalachian Trail uh, looking for revenge, you know, since my first attempt didn't go so well. Uh, I had to give it another shot, but I, at this point I had to do it my way. <laughs> wow. That is incredible. I mean, after being turned back after 500 miles with an 80 pound pack, you did the exact opposite of what, what most people would do. You, you didn't, you didn't throw it in the towel. You said, you know what, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to do it even better. And this led to 5,000 miles. How long did it take you to do 5,000 miles? Oh, it, it took me about 200 days. So what is that? Uh, seven months or something? Close to seven months. Yeah. So that is, a, you know, that's not an atypical amount of time to hike only the Appalachian Trail. Right. So, so then I was six, right? Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So I was trying to do more than double the AT in roughly the same amount of time. And, uh, you know, I, I wound up coming to that trail. I had my little tiny six pound backpack and you know, I had all of my maps and just resupply boxes uh, sent to various towns along the trail, you know, uh, certain intervals apart to get different map sets with me. And, you know, I had really done my planning and my research and my training and I was ready and I was successful on that trip. Yeah. So Jupiter, I'm going to point something out here and it's probably, uh, it's, it's probably not new to you, but uh, this sounds a little obsessive. It is. Oh, it is extremely obsessive. I, but I don't know. I've kind of always lived with, and now even more so, uh, if you find something you love, you should do it and you should do it, but not better than anyone else. Cause I'm certainly not a better backpacker than anyone else. Absolutely not. But you should just do it to make your heart sing. You know, you should do it to the fullest extent that you can do it. And that's what I was trying to do. You know, I was just trying to take this enjoyment and this love of backpacking and really just take it to a different level, you know? Yeah. Does, so. this, does, does this obsessive part of your personality, does it apply to other parts of your life as well? I mean, did, was, it, was that part of uh, video games and the computers and did you kind of follow that path or is this, is this a, something that's just blossomed with through hiking? Um, yeah, it, it has definitely always been the way I've done something. I've, it's a really, at least in this regard, this way is stupid, but sometimes I felt if I'm not good at something, I'm not going to do it. So if there's something I enjoy that I'm not good at, I'm going to do it and do it and do it and do it until I am good at it. So with, uh, I've worked as a painting teacher before and I went to art school, you know, I was that same way with art, you know, I would just obsess over painting and colors and, you know, just shapes and lines and, you know, now just obsessing over backpacking and gear and, you know, with the whole YouTube stuff and filming, that's kind of just been this new facet to backpacking for me. It's kind of combined art and hiking into one in some ways, so yeah, I'm I'm a super obsessive person, I guess you yeah. could say. <laughs> and you know what? It, you're not unique in, in that regard. I think through through hiking itself lends it lends itself to being uh, suitable for obsessive type people. I think you kind of have to be. There's a lot of planning that has to go into this. I mean, you can't just show up and and try and do five, you know, the entire AT with 80 pounds on your back without any, doing a lot of research. Yeah, so and I think if you're, you're 
Go ahead. If you're not obsessed, like how easy is it to quit? Right. How easy is it to be like, oh, I don't really care that much. You know, mm-hmm. you really got to care if you want to do the whole thing. So <laughs> I really care. Yes. And what type of adversity did you face in those 5,000 miles? Were there any, were there any moments where you thought, you know, what have I gotten myself into? What am I doing out here? Uh, or any, any dangerous situations you might've encountered? Yeah, man. Once I got to Alabama, I was just like, what am I doing? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, yeah, there was certainly some stuff, man. Uh, in Canada, I came across a angry, like mama moose with her baby moose. And here I am just in the far reaches of Quebec and like this middle of nowhere trail that no one uses. And this moose is stomping its feet at me with its baby behind it. And, you know, so that was really freaking me out. And I was thinking that, if I go, if I hike away, like maybe there will be another moose behind me. And, but if I stay still, then maybe all these moose that are, you know, around, maybe they're going to surround me. And <laughs> eventually the, you know, eventually I just gave the moose uh, a wide breath and it kind of just, you know, let me pass and it kind of walked away and there was no big deal, but it was certainly wow. a scary situation with that. I had a former guest on here. I forget which one it was, was talking about Denali and talking about the big animals in Alaska. And he, he quoted some statistics that, that moose kill more people each year than grizzlies. Really? And so they are the, the deadlier animal out there. And I was trying to get him to describe, you know, the size of a moose. Cause I don't think people, I don't think your average person realizes how big a moose is. It's huge. Yeah. Like, I don't know. There's another moose encounter where I, turned a corner in a trail and like right in front of me, maybe three feet in front of me was just this moose butt. Like, and I startled the heck out of that thing and it went running one way and I screamed, but you know, my face was about as, as far as I remember was about as tall as its butt, you know, like it's up there. (laughs) Those things are towering, you know? (laughs) So I, I, and I think the, maybe the scary part with them is just they're unpredictable. You know, with a, with a black bear, or a grizzly bear, like you can look up, like, what do you do when you come across a grizzly bear? You know, what do you do when you come across a black bear? When you look up a moose, what do you do when you come across a moose? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> That's, <laughs> there's no like official way to handle it. So I, I kind of just tried to be, you know, be friendly, be nice to the moose, respect its space and hopefully it'll respect my space and, um, so I, I've kind of, I, I do that with all animals, you know, I'm not really going to be out there shooting a snake or something, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather be friendly to people and animals than be angry. And I would imagine if you're angry towards an animal or a human, they're probably going to react angrily back towards you. So yeah, so you, the, the moose thing worked out. <laughs> so you, you, you probably are not that guy that wants to get the perfect shot for the YouTube video and you're going to get closer and closer. Uh, to that moose to get it oh man maybe i'd have to if well here's the trick you just carry a different camera with more zoom (laughs) that's what these people should be doing they're using tiny little fisheye lenses (laughs) (laughs) that's the problem right there yeah they're getting bit by snakes don't don't they know there's more cameras out there but (laughs) no no those, those way more though so yeah so no, I, I give animals their space and uh, yeah, so I, I never really have great pictures of animals because I'm never going to be doing that. <laughs> you know? 
So yeah. you're going you're gonna to live to hike another day. That's what you're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm trying to think of other adversaries, ad, adverse, I don't even know how to pronounce that word right now, but other, other things, I, other problems I had on that hike of the Eastern Continental Trail was, you know, starting out in Quebec. Quebec is a primarily French-speaking country, and I don't speak French, so I couldn't really ask anyone for directions. I couldn't really you know, in many of these little tiny Quebec towns, no one spoke English. As you got closer to maybe Quebec City or something, which the trail doesn't get that close, but you run into more people with English. Uh, so that was certainly a, tr a little bit of trouble when it came to navigating certain sections was just there was no one I could talk to. And I didn't have a Canadian or international cell plan, so I couldn't really use my phone very well either. Um, other parts of that trail, I'm trying to think other problems. You know, I think like once I got to the Appalachian Trail and I'd finished the 800 mile international AT, I was just like, I was so happy and I was just cruising down this trail. And, you know, I was going southbound. So I was talking to all these northbound hikers and just absolutely loving it, loving every second of it. Um, you know, all of my gear pretty much worked out. There was only, I kind of got into this bad habit of cowboy camping, which you don't really want to cowboy camp every night on the East Coast because eventually you're going to get caught in some rain. So that happened a couple of times where I just got a little bit lazy with setting up my shelter and I would just like lay down and, you know, my quilt, my sleeping pad and a midnight storm would roll through and I'd get soaked. <laughs> So that, that was certainly a problem, but that was, that was no one's fault, but my own without looking at the weather, or, you know, you don't even have to look at the weather, just set up your shelter. <laughs> just in case there've been, there've been afternoons where it was blue skies all the way. And I thought, well, maybe I should set up the, uh, you know, the rain fly just in case. And, yeah. Uh, all of a sudden the storm rolls in. So you, it's, it's unpredictable at times. It doesn't take that much extra to put the rain fly or the tarp up and, and be ready. Yeah. And certainly in more Western places or the desert, you know, if you're hiking in monsoon season or if you're unfamiliar with those areas, you better know what times of year those rains come because they can come out of nowhere. And, you know, same with these high elevations, rain can also mean crazy cold. It can mean hail. It can mean snow, even during times of year where you would never expect it. So I, I definitely learned my lesson with, uh, with doing that a couple too many times. <laughs> yeah. The two times I've been over a Forester Pass in like August, uh, hail, 35 mile hour winds. Oh my gosh. It was just absolutely brutal. I can't imagine so, that yeah. <laughs> on Forester Pass, no less. <laughs> yes. I just remember like the little, and it wasn't even that dangerous when I went uh, over it. You know, there was the nice little kicked out snow bridge or whatever the heck everyone walks over and, uh -huh. You know, it wasn't even that bad <laughs> to be doing that in like crazy wind and hail. And lightning. Yeah. Light, oh, 13,200 no. 13, feet lightning with metal poles in your hands. Great yeah. Idea. I think I'd be camping down by Guitar Lake or something instead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so most people, when I ask them about adversity, they'll talk about, oh, my feet were hamburger or um, I had this encounter with a wild animal or... Uh, just mental, the mental grit was, uh, wasn't there for me. I had to, you know, I was constantly battling, you know, my, my inner demons in my mind about, you know, being able to, to keep going, but it doesn't sound like you had any of that. I, I think when it, at least physically, I had trained so much. I, by the, 
by the end of 2015, leading up to this hike, I had gone from someone who was just sitting on the couch all the time to walking ultra marathons, you know, and racing in ultra marathons as like a walker and actually like coming ahead of runners. Mm -hmm. So I just trained so much that I didn't really have too many problems with like feet. I didn't have any blisters the whole time, you know, wow. and generally I, I was walking pretty comfortable, but when it comes to the mental side, there was definitely quite a lot of that, you know, and I joke about Alabama, not because it's Alabama. I loved hiking through Alabama. It was just at that point, I was 3000 miles in and I was just pretty, I was getting pretty burnt out. You know, it's a long time to be away from friends, from family. And, you know, at that point, my, my money was running lower and lower and lower. And, um, uh, I was just like, not in like the best mental space at that point to enjoy Alabama, unfortunately. So I'd love to go back and do the Pinhody trail again. Um, uh, but you know, these things come and go, these feelings come and go. And sure enough, the second I hit Florida again, I was just back on it, loving life once again. You know, I think it was just, I, I know the PCT is hard for people at times because of these borders. You know, you're hiking through California for, what is it, 1,100 miles or something? It's a long just time. Just California. You know, so people get lost just like, when am I ever going to, and it, it's weird. It's just a mental little thing. It's like a border. What does it even mean? Nothing really, but it, it kind of means like, you've accomplished this thing, you've crossed another state line. And, you know, it can really do a lot for your mental state. And that's what crossing from Alabama to Florida was for me. So love and life again. And that hike across Florida, I was doing it maybe a month before I was hiking in December and everyone else who ever hikes the Florida trail pretty much starts in January. So I had a lonely, lonely hike where I didn't see a a single other through hiker and barely any day hikers for a thousand one hundred miles. So wow. that must explain why you did it so fast. Yeah. Nothing I, to slow you down. Yeah, I I guess there was really nothing to slow me down, but certainly I guess being so lonely, I don't know if that helped my speed, but yeah, I, I guess as you mentioned, uh I had this idea prior to starting this whole big trail, but being from Florida and I kind of saw that the Florida trail speed record wasn't as fast as I thought it could be. You know, I knew someone else eventually was going to come down and knock it down, but I thought what, what a great way to end this hike would be to go for that speed record, you know? So I had planned that in prior to leaving for this hike at all. And I had planned out where I was going to get food, how many miles a day I was going to do. And, I wound up going for it. I went for the speed record and I was hiking. I think at the start, I, I started out kind of slow, which sounds silly, but I was doing about maybe like 34 miles per day, but it, towards the end or rather towards the middle half, uh, I realized I was behind the record pace by maybe like a couple days or something. And I was really going to need to speed it up. So towards the end there, I think I have all my splits, all my, how many miles per day I did somewhere on my website, but, uh, towards the second half of that trail, I was doing well over 40 miles every single day. And I think in the end I wound up averaging, it was, I think 39 miles a day average for 28 days straight. 
and I did get the record. I don't remember how much I beat it by, but um, I was very, very happy to do that. And, you know, just being from Florida, it, there, there was nothing more that I really wanted to do. And certainly doing so many miles per day, I think it added a lot to how lonely I felt during that hike. <laughs> just because even if I met someone, like there was no chance of me stopping to talk to them or camp with them or anything. So, <laughs> but it, it was a really interesting experience, you know, hiking in Florida, you're hiking in December or January, you know, right around the winter solstice where days are at their shortest. I don't remember how long the days were, but I sure do remember every morning I was hiking in the dark for at least an hour, sometimes two hours in the morning. Every night I was hiking in the dark for anywhere from two to like six hours of night hiking. So that definitely added to just the mental strife, the loneliness, like, you know, when you can only see as far as your flashlight will point, like, oh man, <laughs> you talk, I talk about, listen to a lot of podcasts, like every hour of that was podcasts, <laughs> podcasts and audiobooks, And, you know, it was a, it was a wonderful experience and I would do it again. I would absolutely do it again, but, um, it, it's maybe not the experience most people would want out of a through hike. Yeah. So does, does the speed record still stand? No, it does not. Somebody um, broke it. Oh no. Yeah. Someone broke it. I know the guy, his trail name is chopsticks. Um, he broke it. And I think his record still stands though. Okay. Probably someone else beat it. I know uh, just about every year, at least one person goes for it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know what it is about Florida. It is kind of interesting. Like these guys from, you know, through hiker from Colorado, I believe uh, has attempted it like two or three times, you know, and I, I don't think he's been successful yet, but I'm sure every attempt he's learning a lot, yeah, you know, because sure. there's no way you're not going to learn a lot doing something like that. Wow. But, well, uh, well, 40 mile days. That's, that's incredible. Um, are you the kind of guy who, when you're by yourself, you don't say a single word, out loud or are you are you talk to yourself out there i don't know I, I mean if i'm listening to music a lot of times i'll sing along with the music you know a lot of times like you know you're listening to a podcast and it's kind of like you're you're there with someone you're you're there hanging out with people whether it's listening to a hiking podcast like the john freaking Lear podcast or you're listening to something like stuff you should know sometimes sometimes in these podcasts the guests will present a question or talk about something and sometimes yeah i'll I'll talk that through with myself. Like, uh -huh. you know, part of what I love about podcasts so much is just that oftentimes it makes me think about and consider things and learn about things that otherwise I would never, ever know about. So sometimes I, I do got to just talk it out out loud and, mm -hmm. you know, try and figure something out that they had just said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if you went 28 days without uttering a single word. No, no. Okay. And I mean, I actually, during that trip, I wasn't, I wasn't really doing the YouTube stuff yet or the vlogging or anything. Um, but nowadays, you know, I got the camera and oftentimes, you know, I'll at least break down my day, you know, kind of what's happened or what I'm feeling, you know, both for my own documentation to look back on and also for other people to either learn from or be entertained from, you know, whether I'm having a good day or a bad day or whatever. Right. Well, let's go back to the adversity question again. Uh, yeah. norm normally when I ask people about adversity on the AT, they say Pennsylvania. 
not not a lot of big fans of Pennsylvania out there. Lots of, I loved lots it. Of, oh, really? Nice. Yeah, honestly. Okay. okay. I think I think northbound through hikers of the AT have a different perspective of Pennsylvania because their final their final like twenty miles or something, or maybe it's just like fifteen or ten, mm-hmm. is just straight up these tiny little rocks that are like pointing out like little dragon scales, you know, but that's, Pennsylvania is a big state. I want to say it's like 230 miles or somewhere around there. So I really felt like that northernmost, like 20 miles, that was the hard part. So as the southbounder, yeah, I got to deal with that, obviously, but so much of Pennsylvania was through like farm fields and so much of it, I, I was enjoying it so much. I started jogging in places because I was just having so much fun. People, so, talk about, people talk about the roots in, in Pennsylvania. They call it roots of Rootsylvania. Yeah, I don't really remember too many roots. I certainly uh, remember okay. the rocks, though. Yeah. You know, I, I remember, uh, you know, and there's certainly more sections that are very rocky in Pennsylvania, but mm. I feel like it's just that northernmost part that really gets people. You know, and that's kind of what it leaves the northbounder with. You know, right. like goodbye Pennsylvania, no more of these rocks. And maybe but, it's, maybe it's Rocksylvania, not Rootsylvania. Rocksylvania, it might be, be sure. Rocksylvania. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I may be getting that confused with some other some other portion of the AT. I mean, the whole AT, you could just call it Rootsylvania or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like whenever it's raining, there is I don't know, there is nothing more dangerous than roots in the rain. Like you step on those things and you'll just go slide off to the side and fall and yeah. Oh man, never step on a wet root. that could be your pro tip but you already used it so can't use that one (laughs) i'm sure i got something else okay well let's talk about a a trip where you did face some adversity and that's your 2018 attempt of the pct yeah so 2000 i guess in 16 part something i kept thinking about and something that kind of got into my head maybe while I was only a thousand miles into my hike was the Pacific Crest Trail and looking up this guy, Scott Williamson. Look, if anyone's got the time, look up Scott Williamson. That You're, you're not going to find a blog or a website or an Instagram or nothing, but that dude has done some incredible stuff in the hiking world. And it, he, cannot, he cannot be found by conventional or <laughs> modern day means, but I kept looking him up and reading stories about him and how he handled the PCT and how he, you know, hiked, he yo-yoed the Pacific Crest Trail, hiking it from one end to the other end and back. He did that, I think, twice. Mm -hmm. You know, he has set the speed record on the Pacific Crest Trail like six or seven times or I don't know. And half the time he's besting his own record. So I, I kept reading about him and thinking about him and I just thought, I want to go do that. You know, I want to go hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And actually, I wanted to yo-yo the Pacific Crest Trail, but uh, as we'll find out, that didn't quite work out. So, you know, I, I got a job. I was working as a metal, metal fabricator, making these uh, giant, like, flood walls for, you know, areas that uh, flood easily, places in Texas or Florida or even up in New York and things. And it was a really great job. It paid well. I loved my employees. I was having a lot of fun doing it, but you know, I just couldn't get the Pacific Crest Trail out of my mind. And uh, sure enough, 2018, you know, I had my plans all in place and I was going to set off on this hike. You know, I had the Eastern Continental Trail, a, a nice accomplishment behind me. So I was feeling pretty confident in myself and, you know, I set off on this trail and 
I was really enjoying it. But about 200 miles in, I, I believe, right, actually heading down Mount San Jacinto, uh, which is just north of Idlewild, for those who are familiar with the PCT, I tripped. I think I was maybe just a little bit dehydrated or something, or maybe I was like the descent is something like, I don't know, it's like a 20 mile descent of just these switchbacks going down the mountain forever. I think I was just getting like a little bit weary of going down and I kind of, I just wanted to be at the bottom and I think I just wasn't paying attention. I uh, tripped and I caught myself, but I must have landed on my foot on a, a pointed rock or something, like right in the middle of my foot. And I wound up breaking my foot. I wound up broke, breaking my big toe, I think, or one of my middle toes. And I wound up breaking a metatarsal. I didn't know it was broken. All I knew is I felt this really, really sharp, sharp pain that was there. And then maybe endorphins kicked in or something, but then it was gone. I didn't really feel it, you know? So I kept hiking on this broken foot, broken in two places, and I kept hiking, and I didn't know what was wrong. I thought maybe I strained a muscle or tore something in my foot. I didn't even consider that I broke it, and I wound up hiking about 800 miles on a broken foot until eventually I just, I wasn't even planning on quitting. I was just going to go home. I, I booked a flight back to Florida. I was just going to go home for like a week or something and then come back out. But uh, I went home and I wound up getting an x-ray and finding out that I'd broken it. And I'm like, well, all right. Even, even knowing it was broken, I remember thinking like, well, I could still get out there and finish it up. <laughs> That's hardcore. Yeah. I, you know, I, I just didn't know it was broken because I guess one day it would be excruciatingly painful and then the next day it would feel fine. I, my only theory for that is maybe the bone was uh, setting and then re-breaking or like just I don't know why. So it never swelled. It never changed colors. Like there, there was really no sign other than pain. So yeah, usually yeah. when there's a break, there's, there's some serious bruising that goes along with that. Yeah, I, there was none of that. So you know, uh, it, it was definitely a learning process. I, I didn't, you know, what I can take away from that trip and what I really learned was that I could have trained a bit harder. I could have started out a bit slower and, um, you know, maybe I should pay a little bit more attention to where I'm stepping. Cause I don't know it, it at the same time, it was pretty much a freak accident to just yeah. trip and break your foot. And yeah, I've heard I mean, of, I've heard of the same stories happening to people on the Appalachian Trail. I remember a guy I met in Maine, you know, 100 miles or 150 miles from the finish. He stepped off a curb and rolled his ankle in a weird way and broke his foot, <laughs> you know, 150 miles to the end. So, like, you know, you got to be careful with, like, your, your feet out there. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, on any long trail through hike, there is a, the majority of people who start do not finish. Oh, whether, yeah. Whether it is because of, you know, they just weren't ready for it or even the best prepared people can have can be a freak accident. Yeah. And, and I've I, got a interesting little tidbit about that. 
the amount of people that are finishing long trails now, you would think that that number would be going up or that ratio, that percentage of people of successful people would be going up. It's actually gone down that more people were successful. Uh, I, the Appalachian Trail Association or Conservancy has great statistics laid out on their website. If you really want to look through those things, you'll see the same thing where more people, a higher percentage of people were finishing the Appalachian Trail X amount of years ago than they are today. <laughs> so it, it is interesting. I think it's like what one in four or one in five people that set out actually. Yeah. That's what I remember hearing. And do you think that's because with there, there's been a rise in popularity of through hiking the long trails and that you, you're getting more people giving it the, giving it an attempt, but they are, there's probably more unprepared people. Yeah. I mean, certainly there's, there's a rise in popularity. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess, unfortunately, less people that are prepared. Maybe it's more people that aren't necessarily outdoorsy. I've always kind of felt that, you know, if you, if you want to get outside, get outside, go do this thing. You know, I, I don't ever want to be like a gatekeeper to the outdoors. And I've also felt that like, if we don't use these natural spaces, then someone's going to take them away. Right. You know, if we're, or if we abuse these natural places, someone's going to take them away. So I, I think obviously there, there could be and should be maybe more education towards that thing, mm -hmm. towards this type of stuff. But at the same time, there's going to be people like me in 2012. I didn't care. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't care that there was information on YouTube. I didn't care that there was forum posts. Like, I guess it wasn't that I didn't care. I just didn't even really think like it was necessary or it's right. like, I'm walking in the woods, you know, I got a tent. I've set up a tent. Yeah. I was just going to say, so, you and I are part of the solution to that. Cause we're, we're doing hiking podcasts. So yeah, this so is, this is part of the education right here. I, I think that has been a big focus for me and a lot of my YouTube videos has just been sharing information that mm -hmm. I, I personally wish I knew before I did something, mm -hmm. you know, one of my latest videos was talking about, what was it like hiking with my girlfriend this past year doing that. a through hike yeah. with her and you know that was information that i feel like would have helped both of us to kind of think that through and know that type of stuff before we went so yeah a couple things before we go to break number one is uh I, i've talked to couples who have hiked long hikes there's no hiding out there there's no you guys are going to know who each other is at the end of a, a long hike Cause you're, yeah. you're out there 24 seven, you're in, you're in, uh, you know, extreme conditions sometimes. And, you know, there's no hiding there. You can't, you can't put up the facade. So if, if you guys survive a long hike, you guys are in it for the long haul. Congratulations. It's definitely, it's definitely tougher than hiking solo. I think, yeah. you know, because solo, you can just, you can just do whatever you want at any moment at any time, you know? But hiking with a partner, it's much more of the group dynamic. What does the group want to do? And what is going to be more fun for the group? So it, it was a learning process, but it was a really beautiful thing once we kind of got it figured out and, you know, got out of that awkward stage of the first couple hundred miles. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Other thing I wanted to point out was uh, I was going to make a point about your 2016 Eastern Continental Trail trip, 5,000 miles. That went so well, and it could have gone so badly in any number of places with just like what we were talking about, a freak accident. I mean, you, you really, uh, 
anytime anybody completes a long trail, there is a, a, a degree of luck involved that you didn't get hurt on some stupid accident. And so yeah. to do 5,000 miles without injury, without any kind of, you know, major hiccup, that's, that's pretty incredible. It and is. It just, just kind of shows, um, it's kind of reinforced by the, your 2018 attempt at the PCT. I think uh, it is, there is certainly luck involved. Absolutely. And, you know, I guess that's part of why I like through hiking is, you know, through hiking now at the age of, what am I, 29 or 30 or something? I forget. But uh, you're saying that's old or young? Young. Yeah. Young. Instead of waiting until I'm retired or something, because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, in 2019, I don't think any of us could have guessed 2020 was going to be like what it was. So I, I want to do things while I can. I want to do things while I enjoy them. So yeah, there's absolutely a lot of luck involved and, you know, definitely planning and preparation because I definitely planned and absolutely. prepared better for 16 than I did 18. So fair point, you know, a, a little bit of everything. You kind of got to have that perfect mixture of determination of preparing and luck. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And I did some uh, math in my head when you're going through the 2018 attempt, if you're 200 miles in when you broke your foot and then you hiked another 800, you know, in my, my higher mathematic ability here, I came up with about a thousand miles that you did on the PCT, which, which took you through uh, the Sierras. Yes, and, it did. you know, this is the John freaking Muirpod. So I would be remiss if I did not ask you for a top three uh, spots in the Sierra. What were your favorite oh, spots man. in the Sierras? I mean, I think a lot of, <laughs> I think a lot of that time was at that point, I, I was realizing something was messed up. Something was really wrong, which is kind of funny to realize that 800 miles after the fact. But, uh, you know, so I think that that was kind of what was on my mind. And, you know, I I think in the coming years, I'll be going back for the PCT again. But, uh, you know, I, I just loved how big it was. You know, I felt like you could hike in any direction almost and just go off trail and you would be out there. You know, there's not a lot of places where you can just go even five miles, 10 miles in a direction without running into a road or so I've been looking a lot into the, like the Kings Canyon high route, the Southern Sierra high route and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Cause you know, the Sierra just seems like you could play there forever and never see it all. You're out there in the middle of nowhere. You are, you are literally, you know, but just like miles and miles away from anybody else. I don't know definitely one of the most beautiful places in the country you know when you're up there and you're just looking at all that rock and just this crazy elevation and all these little peaks and ridges Mm -hmm. it's incredible so i don't think i could give you a top three at all but um you know just the whole place i i think you can just live there forever all right fair enough fair (laughs) enough okay hey we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna get into what uh, Jupiter has been up to lately and what his upcoming plans are. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Hey y'all, how you doing? My name is Nazi Noodle, uh, hiker trash, full on desert rat. And you guys are listening to the John freaking Muir podcast. Welcome back. And so after the 2018 PCT attempt, what, uh, what'd you do the next couple of years? 
After the after 2018, I obviously my foot was broken, so mm -hmm. I came home and I I started going through old photos and old videos, and I started putting together some you know videos for myself, documenting documenting these trips, and also you know putting some of this stuff online as well. And you know I had a lot of downtime. I was instructed not to walk, so I really tried to be serious about that. And I think if you get injured in a way like that, like the worst thing you can do is just aggravate it. So during that time, I got a job as a acrylic painting teacher because painting has always been a big part of my life, painting and drawing. And I really love doing that, you know, standing up in front of a class and kind of teaching them how to paint. Um, but, you know, as, as the wind blows, I kind of, I obviously want to do more hiking. You know, I, I had a really wonderful time on the Eastern Continental Trail. I had a great time on the Pacific Crest Trail, even though it ended differently than I had wanted. And, you know, I think, uh, what was it? Just that next year, 2019, it took me, it took me about a year to recover from breaking my foot a full on year until I was really out there kind of getting back to it. But, you know, I was working that job. I mentioned earlier that they gave me about 10 days or 12 days off from work, um, where I could go do something. And I chose the Sheltoe Trace Trail in Kentucky. I originally chose that because I, I had heard it was cool, but uh, I had never heard someone say like, I'm going on vacation to Kentucky, you know, if you're not from Kentucky, right? Right. I'd never heard that before. So I kind of wanted to check it out. I had heard it was cool and I want to see it for myself. You know, it's this cool little 300 mile trail. Uh, they're marked with these little like turtle paintings on the trees, these white little turtles um, or yellow. I don't remember, but it was cool trail. I am so happy that I chose Kentucky and the Sheltoe Trace Trail. 300 miles. It it doesn't have the most like elevation change, so it's maybe not as hard as say like hiking in the Whites of New Hampshire or hiking in the Sierras in California. But uh just the whole time if you're a rock climber or if you're interested in rock climbing, at the time I wasn't, but this whole time you're just surrounded by these massive rock walls and these caves and just like it was incredible to just be surrounded by like rock and not be like crazy high up in elevation and all of these plants were just so luscious and green and it almost felt like jurassic in a way like a place you would see in jurassic park with just these crazy tall rock walls and these they even have some arches like you'd think you'd see in utah but it's in Kentucky, you know, some rock arches just out there on the trail. And I loved it. I loved it. I, and, um, you know, I've been following their Facebook page ever since the Sheltoe Trace Trail Association. And, you know, they are really working hard to keep improving that trail. So that's one I would love to come back to and, you know, maybe a five-year anniversary to see what's changed. And I know even when I hiked it, like uh, a section that was a road walk before is now this beautiful, like 15 mile trail along the lake. So, you know. Well, it's a well-kept secret because I can also say this is the first time I have ever heard of this trail. Yeah. If you've heard of the Red River Gorge, that's probably the most well-known area in Kentucky, I would imagine for hikers and backpackers and rock climbers. But, you know, the whole trail is really just like the Red River Gorge and it's awesome. I would highly recommend it. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then what came after, what came after the Shell to Trace Trail? 
well, 2019, still, still working that painting job. And uh, a good friend of mine, John Z, John Zahorian, got in touch and asked if I wanted to hike the Pacific Northwest Trail. And he was going to be out there with his girlfriend and, you know, I could pretty much just hop on and join him whenever I wanted. Um, so I, I worked a, a bit longer at that job and eventually I put, actually, I didn't even quit. The, the lady decided she didn't want to do it anymore. So I, it just kind of disbanded, but that worked out. I didn't even have to quit because quitting is sometimes the hardest part of the job. But uh, <laughs> uh, so I went out and I, I hiked about 600 miles, about half of the Pacific Northwest Trail, all of Washington State. So starting at uh, way East Washington and hiking all the way to the coast. Now this is going through some incredibly remote areas, some incredibly like you know, trail, trail to areas that have absolutely no trail where you're just kind of navigating yourself and bushwhacking and climbing over blowdowns and stuff. But, you know, it was the perfect amount of like wild that I was looking for. You know, there was sections where I could kind of take it easy and just follow a nice trail, like say through North Cascades National Park. And then there were other areas like the Pasatan Wilderness where it was just trailless and incredible you know, where you really felt like you were in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen a couple of documentaries or semi, you know, pseudo documentaries on YouTube about uh, the Pacific Northwest Trail. And there are parts of it that are just, like you said, there's no trail there. I mean, it's a lot of bushwhacking. Yeah, it's, it's a cool trail. And there are, there are at least uh, two really great YouTube uh, documentaries out there. I wish I could remember the names right now, but if you look it up, you'll find them. Okay. Um, but yeah, and it, the greatest part of the trail, you know, it ends on the coast. It ends with, I, I want to say like 60 to 100 miles of just beach walking along the Olympic coast and Olympic National Park. And, you know, here you are camping on the coast and uh, you're having to really pay attention to tides because like, you know, some areas, if the tide rises, it's impassable. You cannot get through. And if you were to try and go through like with a rising tide, you could get stuck and really get in some trouble. So yeah. that was a very unique hiking experience. And it, it's a, the PNT is a special trail and, yeah. you know, it's certainly got its problems like many long distance trails out there, but I, I look forward to uh, seeing more of that one in the future too. Nice. Have you heard about the lost coast trail? I have. Is that, uh, is that the short one, the 20 mile one? Yeah. It's not that long. It's up uh, on the coast of California, Northern California. Yeah, I guess it's a section of where they tried to build, I think, Highway One, and it was just too, too, uh, too rugged, and 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 so a lot of the same problems that, that you were describing here about having to know the tide schedule and uh, picking when you go so you don't get stuck like that. So yeah, yeah, I've heard that one has uh, a lot of like ladders you have to climb because it's so steep, and there's like little trolley cars where you're on a uh, what word would that be? You know, where you're on like a line going over maybe a, a ravine. Yeah, a cable car. Wow. So that Lost Coast Trail looks cool. And, you know, it, I think it's around 20 miles or something long. So Yeah, it's, that, not, not, it's not huge, but yeah, uh, I've heard lots of stories about it. So absolutely in, intriguing. Okay. And then you also spent some time in Utah. Yeah. So I was hiking with my friends, uh, John and Alex. And then we actually had a couple other people uh, join us at the very end for Olympic National Park there. And 
you know, my friend John and Alex are, they were living in Utah at the time. And I kind of had some options. I could go hike something like the Wonderland Trail or maybe the Tahoe Rim Trail or the Timberline Trail out West while I was there. Why not? Right. Uh, but they asked, you know, do I want to get a ride with them back to Utah? They were going to rent a car and drive and I could just be a passenger for the ride. And I said, hey, that sounds wonderful. You know, I'm sure there's some fun stuff I could get to in Utah. And uh, sure enough, there was, you know, uh, Salt Lake City is where they were living. And sure enough, Salt Lake City isn't too far from the uh, the Wasatch Mountains, but also the Uinta Mountain Range. The Uinta Mountain Range is just to the east of there, I believe. And uh, it's home to a beautiful little 100-mile trail known as the Uinta Highline Trail. There's been a couple larger documentaries out about this trail since I've hiked it. One uh, called Highline, made by a friend. Um, but it is an incredible trail. If you're looking for something that's uh, in many ways pretty similar to kind of like hiking in the Sierra, where you're just going to be above treeline the entire way, you're going to go through these nice little meadows and valleys and with these high alpine lakes, like the Uinta Highline Trail is awesome. And it being only 100 miles, like, you know, you can knock that out in a vacation, a vacation from work. I, I hope most people can get that type of time off. Um, but it's awesome. And I'd recommend that one to anyone. You don't even, you don't even have to be a fast packer like Gabe and Kevin. Yeah. You know, hundred miles. Uh, I don't know. You could try and set a goal, maybe 12 miles or something a day and right. uh, get it done in a week. And yeah. And the whole time be ready for this. You're going to be above, I think for the first like 20 miles, you're only at 7,000 feet elevation, but I believe for the rest of the trail, the other 80 miles, I think you're above 9,000 feet elevation the whole time. So it is high up there and it is awesome. Yeah. It sounds, sounds very much uh, Sierra-esque. It, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. You know what I, I've loved about tonight's talk is we've touched on some places that we haven't touched on in this, this podcast before. So it's always nice to hear about these other trails out there that are, that are just fabulous opportunities waiting for us. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I'm sure you've seen people come across the world to hike the John Muir trail and certainly the John Muir trail is worth it. But you know, if you don't have the type of time off to do that or the type of, uh, money to get a flight to go out there and hike this 200 mile trail like the jmt you know part of my big thing is there's trails everywhere and there's something to love about all of them you know hiking in kentucky was way different than hiking in utah which is way different than hiking in washington so like even in florida there was you know there's something in your backyard and i'm sure it's pretty darn cool like some stuff i'm really looking at that i'd love to do would be the the Ozark Highlands Trail and the Ozark Trail. And there's a couple trails right there around like, I guess, Mississippi or Missouri or something. And, you know, again, it's trails that maybe not a lot of people have heard of, but they just look awesome. So, yeah. So, you know, on my list are the, uh, the Tahoe Rim Trail, the um, Wonderland Trail, but now I think I can add on to this the Highline Trail. That oh, 100%. Incredible. Man. I mean, yeah. if you like the JMT, if you're looking at the Tahoe Rim, like you are going to love the Highline Trail. Yeah. And it's, it, there is a trail and it's pretty defined and, you know, you can find GPS tracks for it, but there are little sections in there where the trail kind of just peters off and disappears where 
you know, you can kind of just walk freely. It's not like navigation through those parts is hard and it's not like they last long, mm -hmm. but it just adds that extra little bit of fun to it, mm -hmm. you know? So it's a, it's a great one. Yeah. So I know you have the AT under your belt. You've, you've expressed a desire to do the PCT again. Any desire to be a triple crowner? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, 2020 and 2021 probably aren't the times for that, but you know, I'm definitely looking forward to hiking the Pacific Crest Trail uh, as a full through hike. You know, I've done the thousand mile section in the south and I've actually done a pretty large section uh, quite north of there around like Shasta and mm -hmm. northern California and southern Oregon and stuff. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Continental Divide Trail and what types of challenges that'll bring with it and uh you know there's just a lot of cool trails out there but yeah. definitely definitely interested in the triple crown because i mean people can say all they want that you know the triple crown is like there's too much emphasis on it i hear that somewhat frequently uh but it's like how many other trails in the united states are longer than 2,000 miles you know <laughs> so <laughs> to be out there hiking for 2,000 miles straight, 2,100, 2,650, 2,900, you know, that, that's a big deal. So there's a reason there's such an emphasis on those trails. Well, it's not the 5,000 mile uh, Eastern Continental Divide Trail. Yeah, maybe not quite as long, but, you know, I mean, different scenery, different challenges, different everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. And then in 2020, you mentioned it already, but you had the chance to hike the, the Florida trail again, this time with your, your girlfriend. Was she a through hiker? Yeah. Lotus, Lotus is a through hiker. She had hiked the Appalachian trail. She had hiked the Arizona trail and okay, I'm sure nice. there's something else out there, but definitely a through hiker. And, you know, uh, I, she was working at a, as a park ranger in Olympic national park. And she was the one who helped us help me, John and Alex with our permits on the Pacific Northwest Trail. So that is how I met her. And we just kept talking. And uh, she's from Arizona. So eventually I came out to see her and, you know, things kind of went from there. And eventually I asked if she wanted to hike the Florida Trail with me in 2020. And, you know, she was game for it. And sure enough, you know, 2020, right before like, you know, right before the pandemic and all that stuff really came to a head you know, we were out on the Florida trail getting our, uh, through hike in for the year. So it, it was really a blessing to get to hike with her that year and, you know, uh, still together today and looking forward to more through hikes in the coming years together. So Jupiter, I'm kicking myself right now because this sounds like a great story and we've kind of reached, uh, you know, towards the end of the episode here, I might, I might have to have Lotus as a guest on the, the podcast just to explore this whole storyline. I think yeah. this, this would be a great episode. Yeah. Or, uh, I mean, you know, we got other stuff on, we got other stuff coming up in the future. So maybe, maybe we both could come back on at some point. Perfect. <laughs> that would be great. I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. All right. So yeah, you know, we got the Florida trail in, had a wonderful time hiking together. And I was so happy to hike Florida again, because, you know, it's another underrated trail out there. But, uh, you know, 2020 didn't really do too much kind of, I wound up moving to Arizona and uh, started rock climbing and just in my free time playing disc golf or frisbee golf which has been fun to just get outside and, you know, throw some Frisbees. Mm -hmm. But what kind, of, um, what kind of rock climbing have you done? Oh, just bouldering. Yeah, just bouldering. You know, I bought, me and Lotus both bought a, a crash pad and, 
you know, uh, I guess Flagstaff is known for its limestone rocks and its roofs. And so it's been really fun to kind of play around with. And, you know, I felt like it's another extension of hiking. You know, it's good to branch out and learn these skills that sort of relate because you never know when you're going to come across a situation where you may need them. True. So, <laughs> yeah. Is, is this the next obsession? I don't think so. I don't think so. Not at this time, but who knows, man, you know, I, I certainly, when I get into something, I get into it like crazy, but, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what the future holds. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's a, it's a whole nother branch. Uh, the other day I, I just for kicks, I turned on and watched the, uh, Don wall again. Oh yeah. And Tommy Caldwell and, and that whole piece, that's just incredible stuff. So, yeah. I, I have so much of that saved on my computer yeah. uh, just for inspiration for hiking. Cause I mean, these guys are putting themselves in some serious danger. <laughs> it really makes what I feel like I'm doing like playing in a kiddie pool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, let's talk a little bit about the Jupiter hikes YouTube channel. When did that start? I know sure. that you said, you know, some of your earlier stories that you didn't have cameras with you at that point and you weren't doing the, the videos um, so when, when did the, the, uh, YouTube channel come into existence? Yeah, it, in, uh, maybe 2014 or something, I started an Instagram and that was basically, I didn't have a Facebook and I never had a Facebook prior and I just, I didn't have friends and I wanted more friends. <laughs> so I started an Instagram and I thought maybe, Hey, I can find some friends through this. So, you know, I started hashtagging like Florida hiking and all that stuff. And I made some friends. It was wonderful. But, uh, you know, so I kind of kept up with that and was using Instagram to kind of document what, you know, like the hikes I was going on and trying to meet new people and trying to bring people that otherwise didn't know about some of these areas I was hiking in, you know, let them know like, hey, this is pretty cool. Hey, it's not too far from you or it's very accessible to anyone. Come enjoy it. It's here for us all. So I kept up with Instagram for a couple of years and on the ECT in 2016, you know, that was kind of my like you know, that's all I really did. Occasionally I did film some stuff with my phone. And I think the next year, 2017, I wound up trying to put that together. Now I was working on a computer that must've been, I don't know, like 10 years old at the time. And a 10 year old computer doesn't really edit video very well. So I, uh, every time I would try and edit a clip, I think I would only get, uh, through like five seconds or I would get to cut one piece of a clip and then my computer would crash. So I would cut a clip where I want it and I would save it as quick as I could. And then my computer would crash. So I wound up editing uh, a video, my first, one of my first videos or my first two videos going through that type of process. Oh, it so, so frustrating. Oh yeah. You know, oh. I, I mean, yeah. Every time you try and do something, the computer would just blue screen a death on me. So even though I was going through that type of a nightmare, I wound up getting through the videos and posting them on YouTube. And, you know, I both loved having that video, both for myself to look back on, uh, you know, and remember these places and these times. And I also saw that other people, you know, enjoyed watching them sometimes. <laughs> so I was like, hey, that was really fun. I, although the editing process wasn't very enjoyable, I, I loved having these videos. So I think it was um, 2018 where I started making more, you know, I was getting ready to set off on the Pacific Crest Trail and I thought, hey, you know, I'd love to make another one of those videos and kind of document this hike in that way. And, 
you know, it didn't really work out. I broke my foot. So I, I didn't get as far along with these videos as I wanted. But at that point, I started thinking like, hey, you know, I've, I've learned quite a bit about backpacking and through hiking over these past years, maybe from home while I'm a little bit more stationary, I can make more like informational videos and maybe advice for new hikers and new through hikers and advice that I feel, again, I wish I knew when I was first starting out or tips, things that I wish I knew so that I didn't break my foot on the PCT. Um, so it was 2018 that that really started and I've just kind of run away with it at this point. You know, I, I've gotten a new camera and just like I've, I've really fallen in love with uh, the technology behind uh, cameras and also you know, the process of editing, I find it very fun. And just having all of these clips and getting to create this story, you know, say I'm hiking the Pacific Northwest Trail, getting to create this story of what I experienced on my hike, you know, and then in between the long distance hikes, getting to create videos of, you know, what I, what have I learned? You know, what did I learn from this hike or that hike or what it type of advice can I give to you if you're trying to do something? So uh, it, it's been a very, very fun thing. And, uh, you know, at this point, I think I've, I'm close to like 50,000 subscribers or I think I'm at 42,000. Yeah. So, you know, it sure has grown since 2016 or something. And uh, I've just been enjoying it and trying to get better at it. You know? well, it's an incredible resource for anybody out there who's thinking about uh, section hiking through hiking. Uh, any any aspect to that, and forty two thousand people uh, obviously have found it very, very uh, helpful and funny and uh, and useful. So congratulations on that! Fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, I've I've really tried to be a big advocate for you know the lesser known trails, the Uinta Highline Trail, yeah. the Sheltoe Trace Trail, the PNT, or the Florida Trail, even because I I think like a lot of people go out and hike the big three, the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide. But a lot of these other trails are awesome and they just don't get the same amount of recognition. So that, that's kind of been a focus for me. And, you know, it's been really fun making videos about those hikes. And uh, just in general, I, I've been really happy, you know, when someone sends me a message saying that I was able to help them in some way. Or, you know, when people send me an email asking a question about this or that, I'm always happy to answer it. Nice. Now what's next for Jupiter? What's, what's the next big trip? Soon, soon the Arizona trail. So 800 miles across Arizona from the Mexico border all the way up to Utah. Now I've heard this trail. I've heard people say that it is the most diverse national scenic trail out there because of how much you change in elevation. You know, you're going from like very, very low in the desert all the way up to something like 10,000 feet up here in Flagstaff, Arizona. Mm -hmm. So like you're, you're way down in the, in the cactuses and the desert. And then you're all the way up at high elevation with the pine trees and maybe more snow. And so I'm really excited for the Arizona trail and I'm getting that going here in March. And, you know, given the times, it's maybe not the best time to go out and hike, but I just know last year, my mental state was down in the dumps. So I'm just trying to get out and I've kind of created this like set of self rules and guidelines I can follow to try and both stay safe myself and also not put anyone else at risk. So, you know, I, I've really tried to think about it a lot. How can I do this and be safe about it? And, you know, set a, not set a bad example, 
you know? Right. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's ultimately my goal. I don't want to set a bad example. I want you to get out and volunteer. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm super excited to get out hiking again soon. Fantastic. We can expect some videos on your YouTube channel. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, you know, good. so, uh, this year I'm changing up a lot of gear. I'm excited for that. I'm maybe carrying some different, uh, filming gears, uh, different lens and stuff. So I'm excited to see what's going to come out of that and see if that improves my videos at all. And, uh, yeah, definitely going to have a whole series of Arizona trail through hiking vids. Can't wait. Can't Thanks. wait. Hey, Jupiter, you know where we are? Where are we? We are at that point in the segment where I ask you for your pro tip insight of the week. All right. I got a, I got a quick one that I got a quick one that will help some people. And then I got a, a better one. Okay. <laughs> so my quick one is uh, when you're going out to hike, obviously you're going to be going through a lot of calories. You're going to go through so many calories, especially if you're doing bigger miles per day, or if you're out there, the longer you're out there, the more your body's burning away fat and all that. A lot of people will try and supplement calories with olive oil. They'll add a little bit of olive oil to their dinner, maybe a little bit of olive oil to their breakfast or even their lunch, depending on what they're eating. And it is a fantastic way to get those extra calories, but that is not going to be my tip. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say, don't overdo it. <laughs> Start out very small, like maybe less than an ounce a day or something, or maybe every other day or just an ounce, you know, don't overdo it because I'm sure we've all heard of people having stomach problems on trails if you are consuming too many olive oil, <laughs> too much olive oil, it is just going to like oil up your whole system and it's uh, not a great experience, man. So uh, I don't know if anyone else has had that experience, but I would like the world to know. So take it easy. Okay. I can say that this is the <laughs> first pro tip we've had to uh, ease up on your olive oil intake. That's a, a, a valid point though. Well done. Yeah. I mean, you know, I never would have guessed that it would have such an effect. So I just got to let the people know. You're speaking from personal experience, I take it. I am speaking from personal experience. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, So, and and what's the other one? Okay. This is actually a a good tip that everyone can use. Um, Campsite selection. The better you are at picking a campsite, the warmer you're going to be. The uh, less bugs that are going to be around, the less windy that it's going to be, and ultimately, the less you have to carry to, you know, be warmer and fight that wind and fight that rain. Let the let the landscape do that for you. If you can, avoid camping by lakes because lakes and generally depressions is where cold air sinks and stays. So by water is going to be colder than if you were to camp away from water. Also, bugs like water. Mosquitoes like standing water and black flies like moving water. So if you're camping by water, there's going to be more bugs and also more animals because animals drink from that water too. So you can avoid the cold, you can avoid bugs, you can avoid animals all by avoiding camping by water and just going a little bit away. Also in a lot of places, it's against park regulations or you know federal regulations to camp by water because it does interfere with animals. <laughs> so if you're interfering with animals, they're probably interfering with you. But also, you know, if you're having trouble with condensation, try camping under bushes and trees because trees will actually create 
a microclimate in between you and the canopy where the heat from you and the ground floor is being bounced up to the trees and bounced back down, keeping you warmer and keeping condensation away instead of just letting all that heat dissipate into the atmosphere. So there's a lot of different little campsite tricks you can do that will allow you to carry less and ultimately be happier and more comfortable in the backcountry. So that is my actual tip. I feel like it is campsite selection has been the most important thing for me uh, to go lighter on these trips and still be happy. So that is excellent. One of the best we've had. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So there you have it. That's it. This bonus episode for season two is in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Jupiter, and I want to thank him for joining us this week. Jupiter, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media, and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I post on YouTube a lot. You can search Jupiter Hikes. I probably I try and post it once a week at least on YouTube with some new trail video or some type of advice in regards to one thing trail-related or another. If you're interested in just day-to-day -day happenings or photos or something, then Instagram is the second best place. Again, Jupiter Hikes. If you search Jupiter Hikes anywhere, I'm probably around. So, you know, thank you guys so much for listening. It has been a blast being on this show. Uh, thank you. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmuir at gmail.com. Jupiter, I'm also looking to you to give our listeners your recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, a website, or a YouTube channel other than Jupiter Hikes. That's a given. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's going to keep our listeners connected to outdoor adventures. What do you have for us? Oh, man. Oh, there are so many fantastic books out there. Um, probably my favorite ever hiking book uh, is The Pursuit of Endurance by Jennifer Farr Davis. It is going over the history of long distance trails and how they kind of came to be, and also the history of hikers and the history of how speed records on these long distance hikes have come to be. It is just incredibly written with incredible interviews you will not find anywhere else from people that otherwise could never be found. You know, people like Scott Williamson, and it's a fantastic book. So that is probably my number one recommendation uh, for anyone out there that wants to read it, there is also an audiobook. So, okay, the as pursuit of endurance. As soon as we're finished here, I'm going on Amazon and uh, locking that baby up. Check it out, man. It really is. It's one of the best things I've ever read in regards to hiking. So, okay, yeah, that's a wrap from the John Freakamir Studio. Any shout out to friends and family, Jupiter? Um, shout out to my girlfriend Lotus. Shout out to my cat Ezra. Um, I uh, shout out to my mom. Thank you for getting me into hiking and my dad. Thank you so much. Uh, my grandfather, Fred. Um, anyway, that's all. Thanks. <laughs> I love it that you have a cat named Ezra. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're hiking the PCT and you've stepped on a rock and broken your foot in two places. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.